listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. We've been walking through the book of Luke, and uh, it's kind of like an epic road trip that you're on. You never know really what you're going to encounter. It's one of those ones where you don't really plan for it. You just, you just jump in the car, maybe kind of last minute. And it could be somewhere nearby, or it could be just like states away. You're like, I haven't done that in decades for many of us. True, because you have kids, and you have jobs, and you have real life. But with Jesus, we see this, I mean, I don't know what's about to happen. There's something right in front of me, and we're just going to step into that and see where it leads. And so we've seen that all throughout the book of Luke so far, and we see confrontation that Jesus steps into, and we see those who are following him. Jesus calls them to step out in faith and in courage. And so we're going to see that again today in this passage. But the question I want to begin with this morning for us is this, what would freedom look and feel like in your life? So just, just for a minute, consider what would freedom look like in your life? And inherent in that question is, where do I feel constrained? Where do I feel weighed down? Where am I in shackles? Where am I imprisoned? So what would freedom look like in your life? But then secondly, what would that freedom feel like? So if you didn't have those things weighing you down, if you didn't feel like you were chained by debt or by your family history or by an addiction or by your past or by decisions or by something that's happened in your family, what would that freedom feel like? How would you live? How would that affect your life? For some of us, we deal primarily, maybe the thing that weighs you down, we talked about it a few weeks ago, is the fear of man. But what would freedom from the fear of man look like and feel like in your life if you weren't worried about the expectations of others, of your parents, of your spouse, of your kids, of your boss, but your primary concern was the expectation of Jesus Christ? Just put yourself there in a, just for a moment. I, I know for me that if I was living in the freedom that Christ offers and that he guarantees it feels kind of like heaven, right? And what we've seen, especially now, Jesus has, has he's begun to turn this tide. We saw in chapter 9, verse number 51, that Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. He's heading to the cross. And even last week and this week, we really see it, but he's calling sinners to repentance. And he's saying, mine is the kingdom. The kingdom is here. Wake up. Look at it. You can see it. Come, join the kingdom. And we see Jesus here becoming Jesus the evangelist, not just Jesus the healer, Jesus the preacher. He's going to continue doing those things, but we see really right here, Jesus is the evangelist, calling those who are in darkness to light, calling those who are dead to life, calling those who are far away from him back into relationship, into his presence, calling those who are asleep to wake up calling those who say they are followers and disciples of him to examine themselves and to say, man, this is what life would be like. So it feels kind of like heaven. It feels kind of like the kingdom of God. And Jesus says the kingdom is here now. Freedom, friend, is available this morning. It's available to you this morning. So whatever you feel is weighing you down, we're going to see in this passage, and Caleb just read it, that this lady is, she's weighed down spiritually. She's weighed down physically. She must be weighed down emotionally, psychologically, historically. It affects where she goes geographically. We could put all the alleys at the end of these words. It, it all weighs her down for 18 years. And Jesus steps in and offers freedom. It's available to you this morning in every single one of those ways as well. Before we get going, we do this each and every week. If you've been here for more than a few weeks, you know. But may this be our prayer this morning. Repeat these words after me from Psalm chapter 119 and verse 18. Open my eyes 
that I might receive God's wonderful word to me. Amen. We see five things here in this passage. It's broken down real nicely uh, by this author, Luke. But the first thing that we see, if you look at uh, verse number 10, where we picked up, we're going to see that in the kingdom of God, the broken are healed. And we're going to see all five of these things that we see are in the kingdom of God. This is what life looks like. The first one of these, in the kingdom of God, the broken are healed. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. 18 years. I woke up this morning and I had a little bit of a creak in my neck. It still doesn't, like my right ear is clogged up. And it's like, man, this is a terrible day. Just right, no, no, for 18 years. And I've still got it. So if you think I'm yelling at you, just, man, that guy's really passionate. I can't hear anything, okay? But this is more than just old age. This is more than just a bad back. Notice, she had a disabling spirit. So her body was physically disabled. And we see in a second that Jesus says, hey, that demon that has a hold of you, this demonic power that's there, it's very real and it's causing things. And again, Luke is a doctor. He's saying the spiritual world is deeply impacting the physical world. I'm not going to go off on a tangent here too far. But demonic power is not limited to just to demonic possession. So we say, oh, man, we can't be possessed by demons as the body of Christ. Those who are in Christ can't be possessed. And I believe that. However, what we see in this passage is we must wrestle with the reality of demonic power, even for those of us who are in Christ. We can't just take this and say, oh, that's for somebody else. I'm in Christ. Let me never consider it. That's all I want to say about that. So this is more than just old age. But notice how Jesus responds to her in verse number 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And how did she respond? She glorified God. Jesus saw her. This is a woman who had been outcast, more than likely. She was disabled. She was walking around like this. Nobody wants to be that person's friend. It's the kind of people that when you see them in the store, you're like, oh, don't make eye contact. I wish I'd tell my mask on, you know, like, so I could avoid those people. That's the kind of person she was. But Jesus looked at her. He saw her. And then he spoke to her. And then what does he do? He reaches out and touches her. He shows compassion. Not only that, but he healed her. He fully, completely, after 18 years, restores this woman. And she goes into worship. Because she understood that Jesus Christ is one who cares for individual need. So if you think, man, nobody cares about you, nobody sees you, it's, it's somebody else, I'm just going to show up. No, Jesus sees you, friend. He understands he feels that, and he wants to reach out and touch you to bring you freedom. Notice the woman doesn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you heal me? There's no request here. Jesus, in his mercy, reaches out. There's no mention of her faith. Let me hope I have enough faith. Jesus, out of his grace and his volition, says, I want to heal you. That's a compassionate, healing, restorative God. In the kingdom of God, the broken are healed. But secondly, we get down, I want to skip a couple of verses. But in verse number 16, notice how Jesus talks about this woman. In the kingdom of God, we're going to see that the imprisoned are set free. So he heals her. Notice what Jesus says. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound, again, who, who bound? Not her physical ailment, not her DNA strands, not some, she wasn't in a car, bike wreck, nothing like that. Who Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from the bond on the Sabbath day. And if you look back at verse number 14, it says, uh, I think it's in verse number 14. Notice how uh, when the religious, the ruler of the synagogue, synagogue, notice what he says. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, we'll talk about him in a second. We have many things to say about our good friend there, the ruler of the synagogue. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. He's saying, this is the way it is. It ought to be done. It's necessary for it to be done this way. That's what Jesus says in verse number 16. And ought not, 
He's saying, whatever you think is the way that things are supposed to be done, check yourself at the door, friend. You don't understand. Like, you know all the rules, but you don't know who the rules point to. Like, you may understand the law, but you don't know the one who wrote the law. This is about me, Jesus Christ, and all, not this woman. Notice Jesus first stresses the divine necessity for healing. I ought to heal this woman, but he stresses her humanity. He says, this woman, he stresses her privilege. She's a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound. Jesus addresses this tragedy, but then she's in this bondage, and he stresses and he makes note of the misery that this woman is feeling, the physical and spiritual infirmity that she has. May she not be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. The kingdom sets free the imprisoned. Jesus Christ, the king of all kings, sets free the imprisoned, and he will set you free from your imprisonment. Jesus Christ will straighten every single thing that's crooked when he returns. In his kingdom, there's no devil riding on your back, either physically or spiritually, because Jesus Christ says, I've come to heal and to cast him off. And friends, the kingdom is here today. That's the message of Jesus. So in this kingdom today, you can experience this freedom from whatever imprisons you this morning. There's hope in Jesus Christ but then let's go back up at these, these verses right before this. In the greater context, this, so Jesus steps in and heals this lady. Verse number 14, notice this. We're going to see in verses 14, 15, and 17 that in the kingdom, the critics are shamed. Notice how Jesus responds to this man. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant. So he stands up. He doesn't just go to Twitter, but he stands up in church and begins scolding Jesus. That, that takes some courage. So kudos to you, fella, for doing this on the Sabbath in front of everybody. It says he's indignant. In other words, he's begrudging the wrong things. And I was thinking about this question this, the past couple of weeks. But who do I begrudge and why? Who do I begrudge and why? I often begrudge people who don't show me enough respect. Because I want their respect, they don't recognize who I am. Or I begrudge people who have too much respect and I want that respect. I begrudge people who have more money than I do because I've worked just as hard as they have. I'm just as smart as they are. How come they get to go on all those vacations and buy all those nice, like I, I, I deserve that. I deserve those things. Or I begrudge people who aren't as smart as me or aren't as beautiful as me or who don't have things figured out like I do or who disagree with me on something, whether it's theological or uh, political. I begrudge these people because I'm better than they are. I begrudge people who are better than me in, in ways, oh man, they just, they, they're, just, they're just full of themselves. There, there are plenty of ways that I'm better than them. And that's what this man is doing here. He's indignant. He's begrudging this lady when we are indignant, when we are begrudging folks, guess what we can't do? We can't show them care. We can't show them compassion. We can't be curious about what is happening in their soul. We're putting up walls between us and other folks. So I would ask you this morning, who are you begrudging and why? You're like, I don't really know. Let me ask, you, ask it to you this way. Do you use things and love people? Or do you love things and use people? What is most important to you? Is it your stuff? Is it a certain level of comfort in this life? Or is it relationship with others? Declaring and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. He is the king of all kings. Is that first and foremost in your mind? Or is having a better life now on this earth what consumes you and what drives you? You see, this religious man, if you keep looking at verse number 14, he's indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Now, suppose they had added these laws, hundreds of laws in the Old Testament, these religious folks had, that said, you know, we got the Ten Commandments and we got the Levitical law, but we're just going to keep on adding laws. And so supposedly, nobody was supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And I've talked about this before. When I was in Jerusalem, you would get on, um, and even, I mean, 
gosh, I don't know, maybe I should take my oven back. I'm not sure. I mean, it's the one Shannon wanted, so I'll just blame the woman that, you know, God gave me. Um, but even our oven has this Sabbath mode on it. And it's so that we can go ahead and set something to, I don't know, we haven't used it. Because we cook on the Sabbath. So, sorry. But even when you go to Israel, you go on these elevators. And when you get on with a bunch of, uh, of Jews, they don't want to touch the button. And so I remember getting on an elevator when I was in Israel several years ago. And they all kind of looked around and they said, can you press that button for us? I was like, sure, I'm a good Gentile. <laughs> Boom, no big deal. I'll hit the button for you. They don't want to do anything. On the Sabbath, they can't do too much. The religious... They continue to build and build and build and build these rules. Now, the law of God, the word of God was given to us so that we can find freedom. You're like, how does that, how does that make sense? It's like this. If, if you have a yard and uh, you're up inside a busy street, the law of God is like a fence around your yard. And inside of that fence, your children and your dogs and your animals and whatever else you have are free to run and, and find freedom there in your yard. But if that fence is not there, guess what you have to do all the time? Hey, watch out for the street. Hey, there's a car coming. We're not, we're not playing that game today. We're not playing chicken. Get out of the road. But if you put the fence there, you can open the door and they can go run and be free. And the law of God is like the pickets in that fence. It's really good. It helps us to see this is the character and nature of God. And we get to enjoy freedom. But what the religious folks do is they say, you know what? That fence isn't quite big enough. We're going to make it a little bit taller, and we're going to put one on top of it, and then we're going to put some barbed wire on the top. And before long, instead of a fence that's beautiful, it turns into a prison. And they're bound. Friends, the Sabbath should not be a burden. The Sabbath was meant to be a blessing. And the religious guy here, he misses that. He doesn't understand who the Sabbath is pointing to. Hypocrites will not recognize the kingdom of God when it is right there in their midst. What does Jesus call this man? A hypocrite. You, you may have all the right answers. You may know all the right stuff. You may pretend to be religious when you're not. And Jesus keeps saying, over and over and over to these religious, to these Pharisees, to these Sadducees, the kingdom of God is here. You're missing out on it. He says, why do you care more for your ox? Now, notice what the man says. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. He's talking here to the lady. He's not just mad at Jesus. He's mad at this poor, decrepit, disabled woman. He says, come back tomorrow. We're not worried about your infirmities today. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, speaking to religious folks, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? He's saying, you, you think you have all the right answers. You know all the right stuff, but you care more for your ox than you do for this lady. What a jacked up moral code you have. That's messed up. We, we can look around at our culture. Let's point fingers at other places first, okay? <laughs> so we can look around and say, man, what do we value more than life? Well, we, we uh, of a living being. We're, we're okay with murdering children in the womb nationally, statistically. We're okay with that. We're okay if there are kids even right here in our very hometown, who are going to bed hungry tonight. We're okay with orphans. We're okay with giving money to endangered species. We're, we get really mad and upset when we watch a documentary and we see animals in cages. Some of us get upset, and I'm, I don't, it's, it's up to you, that's fine, but I, I love meat. But some people, you know, you watch a documentary, I'm trying to think, what's it called, Food Inc., you know, um, but you watch this documentary, you're like, man, our food is harvested that way? That is terrible. I'm not eating meat anymore. I'm taking a stand. But how often are we going to stand on the word of God and say, man, what's even more, more valuable than the life of animals and of plants are those who are created in the image of God? Statistically, in America, Protestants, evangelicals, us, 
We, give, we spend more money on our animals than we do giving to the church. Year after year, that's been the case. So we can sit around and point fingers at somebody else and we can say, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-life. But where in our lives are we actually pro-life besides on that one matter? Or are we pro the life that we're looking across the street from? The life that lives beside us? The life when you're checking out of the grocery store? Are we pro that life? Or just pro the life when it comes to voting every couple of years? Jesus says, you hypocrites. You can follow your heart, follow your money, follow your time, follow your treasures, follow your talents, follow what consumes you. You hypocrites. Notice in verse 17, we already looked at 16. As he said these things, all his adversaries, his enemies, were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, with the woman, so we have, we have two perspectives here. We, we have, or maybe two ways to receive this passage. With the woman, was Jesus tough or was he tender? You can respond. Yeah, we know, we know the answer to that pretty well. He was tender with this lady because she understood her desperation and her need. She understood what she was lacking, what she didn't have. She had nothing to bring. But with this hypocrite, with this Pharisee, with this religious man, was Jesus tough or was he tender? There we go, catching on. He was tough because this man said, I deserve the kingdom. I deserve what you have to offer. And Jesus, you should be abiding by our rules. Here's my concern. Here's my perspective. Here's what I care about. Jesus, will you please bless this thing? Will you please care about this as much as I care about this? Oftentimes, we, the religious, now kind of start, and this is true for me too. I classify myself, even here as this hypocrite, oftentimes as that religious, overly committed, zealous to some things that are important, but they're not the most important thing. I, I look at other churches or, or other pastors or other Christians, um, and, and I think, man, they, they use that. I got an email last night from a guy, and uh, in his email, he sends this weekly, uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is in case he ever hears this, but he's a pastor in a different state, and he sends this weekly uh, prayer, what he's going to be preaching in the passage, and at the very end, he has the passage that he's preaching through, and in the parentheses, it has KJV. And you know what I did? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> let me tell you what the uh, elect standard version is, fella. Yeah, it's, the, it's the real ESV. Let me, let me, let me point you to Jesus, <laughs> you know? Man, y'all listen to those songs? You have that translation of the Bible? You do that as part of your spiritual discipline? Those are the books that you read to your kids? Those are your convictions? That's the podcast you listen to? Those are the sermons? That's what you dress like? That's what the church's branding is like? Man, I don't know if y'all are really following Jesus. And we have the religious, and this is, this is convicting to me. Is it more difficult for you to rejoice at what God is doing when you're, because your preferences are in the way? Or is the move of God the most important thing in your life that we can look beyond our preferences and look beyond how much money we make and what we look like and what team we cheer for? And we can say, what is the most important thing is the kingdom of God marching forward in our citizenship in heaven. Friends, set your causes and your cares aside if they have taken the place of Christ. That's tough for me. I, I, I want to figure out, I naturally, because of my sinful nature, I nat because I, it's, it's quick, I can be quick to revel in this. I naturally find the areas where we are different. I can naturally, easily run to, ah, well, here are our differences. Yeah, we're the same on 99% of this, but 
He believes that. He, he's okay with that. They go there. He's saying, stop looking around at some other folks. Look at the kingdom. Look at Christ. And what is Christ doing? If our preferences prevent us from showing the mercy of Christ to those around us, may we repent of those preferences and may the Lord reorder our priorities. Because notice right here at the very end in verse number 17, what do they miss out on? What does the hypocrite miss out on? The glorious things that were done by him. When we're focusing so much on our differences, so much on the things that I want to do, my preferences, we become like the hypocrites. And we're unable to see Christ's work as glorious. But in the kingdom of God, the critics are shamed. And that's for me. Some of you are like, was he talking about me? Did I have a conversation? No, no. I wasn't thinking about anybody except for myself. But then we get down. So I would imagine that Jesus is almost asking this question. Okay, so how do we, how do we avoid, how can you avoid becoming like the Pharisees, like the overly religious folks? And he says, let me tell you, I got two little parables right here for you. We see, first of all, in the kingdom of God, life is produced. Verse 18, in the kingdom of God, life is produced. And he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Now, we understand this. Like, we can understand when the birds come in. We see this often. We see this regularly. But notice the question that Jesus is asking here. And he asks it twice. He asks it first in verse 18. And then he asks it again in verse number 20. What is the kingdom of God like? In other words, if Jesus Christ is establishing his kingdom here today, if it is here, what is it going to look like? Is it going to be spectacular displays of spiritual might? Is it going to be people getting healed immediately right on the spot? Is it going to be political and military conquest? Is it going to be strength and power? Because that's what these folks are looking for. They're looking for their best life now. Jesus is here. Man, the kingdom of God is here. We finally get everything that we've ever wanted. Jesus, can I be on your right hand? Can I be on your left hand? The kingdom is here. But Jesus says, what do you think the kingdom is going to look like? Verse 18, he asked that question. But it was right there at the very beginning. And we know this as uh, decent church-going folks. But he says, and he said, therefore, whenever we see the word therefore, we need to ask, what's it? Y'all did better with that than you did with tough and tender, okay? <laughs> I'll let you figure out who you are in this story. The lady, so he says, he said, therefore, he's saying, don't miss it. He's saying, here's an example. I'm healing this lady. And I'm about to tell you this parable. These two things are connected. In other words, it may not seem like much, but if you give it enough time, the kingdom of God changes everything. It's not going to be like the kingdom of the world that's here and then it's gone. It's here for just a flash and then it disappears. Here's, it's a, not a passing fad. He says the kingdom of God, it begins really small. It may be inconspicuous. It may, you might not even notice the kingdom of God really at first. This lady who walks in with this disabling spirit, Jesus heals her. He said, you don't understand. This is just a microcosm of what the kingdom is like, the kingdom of healing, the kingdom of love. But these small beginnings are going to yield vast fruit. Now, the fruit of a tree is not for the tree. The fruit of a tree is for something else. The fruit of the tree is for the animal. It's for the human. A tree does not produce fruit for itself. So the kingdom of God, as it begins to go and to spread, it's not for those who are already in the kingdom. It's not for me. It's for others around me. It's not a theoretical kingdom. He doesn't say the kingdom of God is going to spread and you're going to have better belief systems. No. What do we just see in verse number 17? These glorious things. The people didn't rejoice. Now they had better theology than the hypocrites. No, they rejoiced at the glorious things that Jesus did, that his hand was moving, that he was at work. They didn't rejoice and say, Jesus, thank you for teaching us. That was the best sermon. No, he says, they say, Jesus, thank you for entering into our mess and redeeming us and restoring us and healing us, for moving and acting. Thank you for these glorious things, not these 
glorious ideas. So don't despise things that may seem simple and small and humble. I, I think back to even this church, which, you know, McDonald's only been around for a few years, but South Point and Locust Grove, we've been around for 15 and a half years. But if you had shown up in some of those early days, uh, you'd be like, uh, yo, I don't, I don't think this is going to make it. We, we had other pastors from the city come in and be like, hey, this is not a good idea. And we're like, you just want everybody for yourself. They're like, no, no, no. You just don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like, here's some books on church planting. Like, here's, and we're like, yeah, man, we, we could write a book about like, what not to do. But if you had showed up, you'd be like, yeah, these guys have no idea. And we didn't. And I'm not saying, man, we had things figured out. All I'm saying is that we were just relying on the faithfulness and the mercy of God. And maybe the same is true for your life group. You're like, man, my life group, I don't even know what our potential is. Don't underestimate the spirit of God working in and through you. The same is true with your family. You're like, I just go to work. I don't know where to find what is God's will for my life. What am I supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be growing in holiness. You're supposed to be evangelizing the lost. You're supposed to be pursuing the presence of God. So do that as a family. And God will use that. It's not insignificant. It's not too small. Be faithful even in the small things because God wants to use that. Because in the kingdom of God, life is produced and it takes time. But then lastly, we see in these last two verses in verses 20 and 21, that in the kingdom of God, we remain victorious. We remain victorious. So we're asking y'all and we're compelling you. We're resourcing you with things here in your seat. Man, invite somebody to our Easter service on April 17th. Invite somebody to Good Friday. But even more importantly than that, we're giving you a resource where you can have a gospel conversation with somebody. And it's like, man, is it, is it really going to matter? Can I tell you from these last two verses we see here that the kingdom of God is moving. It is growing. It is expanding. It's moving inward and outward. We see like the tree here. It's visible. It's invisible. It's moving slowly but surely. It's expanding. The kingdom of God remains victorious. And again, he said, his second parable, verse 20, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, three measures, when I, when I first read this, I thought, oh, three cups of flour, a little, you know, got a loaf of bread. What that literally means, three measures of flour, it, it turns out to be 128 cups. Yeah. So that's about a bushel of flour. I should have brought this in because we don't understand what a bushel is, but it's a big old thing, a flower. It's just over 100 pounds of flour. So Jesus says, look here, the kingdom of God is like a little leaven. It's hidden in three measures. He doesn't say the kingdom of God is this giant thing that's just going to come trampsing and say, boom, the kingdom of God is here. He said, no, no, it's going to turn into something big and beautiful and bold and a I guess a big old piece of bread. <laughs> like, you can drive your truck through it. Um, I hope she divided this up. I don't know how she baked this. I, I mean, I know it's really hot. I don't know. All I know is it's a parable. I forgot. Okay, so, so Jesus says there's a, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's happening around us, but the kingdom of God right here, South Point McDonough, is like leaven. Right here, North Henry Baptist Church with Stan Jordan. Right here, First Baptist Church. Right here, First Presbyterian United Methodist. Whatever it is. The kingdom of God may be small, but look around us. We have hundreds of thousands of people in this county that are unchurched, that are going to die and go to hell. And Jesus says, don't just remain leaven. It's, the kingdom of God's not just going to stay here. You know, it's not just us four. No, everybody, oh man, we're all, yeah, glad. No, the kingdom of God is expanding. It's growing. That's what the kingdom of God is like. There may be opponents to the kingdom of God. But this kingdom is not like a kingdom of this world. Because with God, all things are possible. So we go and we share the good news and we evangelize the lost and we care for the sick and the poor and the needy. And we've got several things in the next coming weeks and months that we're going to be telling you about. Even next week, we're going to be talking about how we can engage with those in Ukraine and in Romania and those in Russia, how we can help to support and to give to them. We want to do that as a church because we've been given so much. And the kingdom of God is not just right here. The kingdom of God doesn't just happen from 1030 to 12 o'clock on Sunday morning. 
The kingdom of God is growing. It's pervading everything, every part of who we are. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against this. Now, for some of us, we can look around and say, man, I, what are our numbers like this week versus last week? And man, what if nobody responds when I share the gospel with them? Can I tell you this? We can't look at the immediate numbers. We can't look and say, here's, here's success. It's immediate. It's happening today. We can't say, man, where's the, where's the finished dough at? Because what has to happen is this baker, this lady right here in verses 20 and 21, she has to sit and knead the dough. And it takes time and she's got to let it sit up and it's got to rise and it's got to expand. And so maybe for some of us this morning, we are those who are harvesting the fruit. Maybe for some of us, though, we're those who are simply kneading the dough. Paul says we all have different gifts. We all have different capacities and abilities. Some of us are coming along just watering. Some of us are planting the seed. I don't know what that is. But friend, don't just be looking, ah, I'm unsuccessful. You never know. We had a missionary family join us here this morning. They've been um, overseas uh, for almost the whole time that I've been alive. <laughs> so, um, but for 26 years, they've been over there, or 28 years, they've been overseas sharing the gospel. And if you talk to these folks, they're not going to say, man, every single day, everybody, we've been in two different countries and everybody's been saved. No, that's not the way it works. But they've committed their lives to being there and being diligent in the difficult times, looking to Christ, proclaiming his kingdom, and letting him do the work in and through them. We are all missionaries, friends. We have all been sent by the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you believe that this morning? Where is God at work in your life? Are you looking for his hand or are you skeptical? Are you even beyond skeptical and you're cynical? Man, God can't do that. God, God can't use me. Are we looking at those who are needy like this lady and saying, man, how'd you end up here? Life would be better for you if you did things this way. If you invested your money here, let me give you some tips and tricks. Or are we going and engaging? Are we curious about what God is up to. When we think about the kingdom, we remain victorious. Friends, rest assured in this. In Christ, we are winning the battle. That may look like our lives being sacrificed, but in Christ, we are winning the battle. So even today when we leave here, even this week, even this next month, when we think about the kingdom expanding, we can be confident and we can share and we can be joyful in what Jesus Christ is doing in us and through us. His kingdom will not be thwarted. Maybe you're like this lady here we see in this passage. Uh, you're following Jesus, but you have pain. Whatever that pain is, and I, I don't, the point of this passage is not simply freedom, simply, hey, freedom in Christ. What's this lady freed from? It, it doesn't even say she's freed from sin, really. She's freed from this physical infirmity. And so maybe you're here identifying with this lady this morning. And you're dealing with some sort of pain. Maybe, maybe it's physical pain. Maybe it's a creak in your neck. I don't. But maybe you've been dealing with this for months or years. Or maybe it's psychological pain or emotional pain. Maybe there's something in your family you're just like, I cannot shake this. Maybe it's spiritual pain. Maybe you're dealing with something and there's, there's a sin in your life and you just can't fight this. As I study this passage, hang with me, okay? As I study this passage, I think there's something that we've missed out on as a church. And I'll, I'll take full responsibility for this. I was at South Point on day one, been here for however many thousands of days that is. But I think we've missed out on something as a church. And that's pleading on behalf of a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children. Because we see here this picture of the kingdom, and it's a picture of life and of love and of healing and of forgiveness and of freedom in Christ and in him alone. So as I've been studying these passages and asking God, how can we, hey man, uh, but Father, how, how can we be bringing the kingdom even now? We read this in the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come. What does his kingdom coming look like? And it looks like us pleading his heart for us to be used and for him to heal. 
Here's what, Luke, here's what we saw, saw already in Luke chapter 9. This is up on the screen, so you don't have to go there. But in Luke chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And in verse number 6, it says, And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Uh, here's what it says in the very next chapter, in chapter 10, in verse number 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And so for, if for a minute you're like, okay, so where does, where does this petition for healing happen? Is it just with Jesus? No. Is it just with his disciples? No. Is it just with the 72? No. Uh, where does this petition for healing happen? Well, it at least happens here. After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said this in verse number nine, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God has come near you. Friends, we, we haven't done this in the past. <laughs> I told somebody, I was like, man, uh, I, need, I need a prayer. Uh, I asked somebody in our discussion, hey, I want to be vulnerable. I want to make sure that I am following the will of God, but I want us to be vulnerable as a people. We've never done this. We've never corporately asked the Lord to heal. We've never corporately said, may your kingdom come in a real, physical, tangible way, not in a theoretical way, but we want to see the glorious things that God has done. And if he doesn't, praise God. And if he does, praise God. James chapter five, it says this, verse 13. Right here. It says, is anyone among you suffering? And maybe you identify with this. So maybe this is you this morning. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And we've done that. And we're going to continue to do that. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. He goes on, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? It's here for this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We see it in 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 12. Those who participate in communion, who were in sin, what happens to them? Struck dead. Struck dead. So he says, confess your sins for the sake of health and life. Confess your sins so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power and is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. It says here in James, it talks about this prayer of faith. Offer this, this prayer of faith, and literally that translation is a prayer offered in faith. So this morning, church, I want us to uh, gather. If, if you're like, man, I identify with that lady who's sick, who's hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually. I'm in sin. I need some sort of healing. In just a minute, we're going to ask you to come down front. Uh, Caleb is one of our pastors. He prayed this morning. He's going to be standing here. If you want him to put a little bit of oil on your wrist to anoint you with oil, that's fine. If you don't, I'm just going to ask you to come here. And we as a church and a congregation as pastors are going to pray over you and pray for the healing hand of God. A few things on this. First of all, we are going to ask. We're not demanding God to do this, but we are requesting him to do this as a gathered body. The question I have is, what do you expect from him? And that's my own question. I, man, I, I stayed up late last night. What do I expect God to do? What do I expect our people to do? Do I expect to have a job next week? But first we have to answer the question and we can answer the other ones later. Maybe we will. But the first question is this, what do I expect God to do? And whatever I expect God to do, is that biblical? And I would say, friends, the father is one whose wings are full of healing. And he wants you, not for the sake of this life, but for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his glory. He is one who heals. His kingdom is one of healing, freedom, and life. We believe that God has to, we don't believe that God has to heal, but we believe that God can heal. So we're going to ask him in faith. We're going to ask him together as a body. You're like, okay, well, uh, this, this uh, I've got some apprehensions. Yeah, man, me too. Me too. When I think about church history, though, for centuries, the church has prayed publicly for those 
who are dealing with sickness, with infirmities. For centuries, they've anointed with oil. Now, I think it's been usurped uh, by the Catholic Church. And they used this same uh, time of anointing with oil for what they call the final unction or for the extreme unction. If you have a, a Catholic background, you understand that. But basically, you can live your entire life and as long as somebody anoints you with oil and prays for you as you are dying or right after you die, then you still get to go to heaven eventually. That's not what this is. The, the other side of the pendulum that is, has taken this out of a biblical context and misinterpreted it and misapplied it are those from more of a, uh, a charismatic or a, a a Pentecostal leaning. And they would say, man, we are going to pray and we are going to bring healing and we are going to anoint and God has to do this. And if he has to do it, something's wrong. Either you're not saying the right thing or you're not believing the right thing. Friends, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we see this in the scripture that Jesus Christ is bringing his kingdom and he commands us to pray. He commands us to seek him. And you say, how is this any different from us praying for something? It's not. It's just not. But we see this in Scripture. And I want us to be a church that is being faithful. I want us to be a faithful church. I, I have nothing to gain from this. All I've gained are sleepless nights and hours of conversations. Uh, I'm not trying to manipulate or, I mean, what's the direction of the church, man? I, don't, I want us to be a faithful people of God who are living in and reflecting the kingdom of our king. That's it. Are we relying on his power? Secondly, not only do we ask, but we anticipate that he will move. Jesus tells us that anything we ask in his name, we will have. And in Christ, he, he may provide healing for us today, but we know that he's going to provide healing for us ultimately in the future. And so our prayer is that we would have a foretaste of eternity in this life. That's why he calls us and doesn't just zap us up into heaven, but is to experience his goodness and kindness even today. The scripture tells us, you have not because you ask not. And at the very beginning of James, James says, we have a good father and from him flows all good things. So we ask and we anticipate, but then lastly, we accept the results. No, no matter what happens, man, if, 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 if somebody can't walk and then they can walk, if somebody is dealing with sin and now they're not dealing with sin anymore, if somebody is, is in the depths of despair and on the verge of committing suicide and then they're freed from that, whatever that is, if it's biological or demonic, whatever that is, man, we praise God. And if we have to suffer through and struggle every single day until death or until Jesus comes back again, we praise God. We accept whatever the Father says. So in this, there is no guarantee of healing. But in prayer, we anticipate a divine answer. We ask the Father for good things. Church, I love you. It, it hurts me. It hurts me when you are hurting. When you're grieving, and you could ask my wife, you could ask my kids, it pains me so much. When, when somebody decides to leave our church and go somewhere else, that hurts. You're like, man, that's prideful. Absolutely. But it also hurts because it's like, man, I feel like this is family. Every time I talk to David Henry, he says, love you, man. Yesterday we saw each other, and we were leaving like 12 times. I heard, I love you from David Henry 12 times. Finally, we left. That's because I see him as a brother. We are family. And I want us to be a family that is reflecting the love and the character and the nature of our Father. A family that is reflecting a kingdom of faith. I want us to be able to look at each other and say, man, my theology is a little better than yours. Or, hey, we have the, we have the same thing, right? We're, we're better than somebody else. I want us to be able to look at each other with love in our hearts and in our eyes, bearing the burdens of each other, bringing the burdens of each other to our Father. That's why we do this, because we are a family. I had to watch my sister's kids this week. It wasn't for that long, even though it felt like the entire week. 
But you know why? It, it wasn't because I said, okay, I'm going to charge you this much per kid. No, well, not for that kid. But I said, no, you're my sister. You're family. That's fine. I would love to. We're family. I want us to be a kingdom, a people of faith, not of fear. A kingdom people of freedom, of expectation. So here, here's how this is going to go down. Again, I, I've never done I don't, I don't know. But, but I, I know what the scripture says. That's all I've got to go on. And so I'm going to ask, even now, if you say, man, I want prayer for healing. I, I won't, and I don't, I don't, I can't guarantee the results, but even now, I'm going to ask you to come and just be at the front of the stage. And so if you're like, man, I want, I want prayer for physical healing or for emotional healing or psychological healing, or man, I, I've, I've got a sin in my life that I just cannot shake. Can we ask this demonic spirit to, to get off of my back, to be removed from me? I'm going to ask you to come stand down front. Anybody, if anybody wants prayer for healing, come on down. Pastor Caleb's gonna be right here. If you want him to anoint your wrist with oil, uh, it, the oil doesn't do anything special, by the way, guys. All it does is signify, it signifies that this person is set apart. It says, it's not claiming healing, but it's claiming the cure in the name of the one who promises to heal. That's all it is. Y'all come forward if you like. Caleb, if anybody else, this is your chance. We're gonna pray for these folks. I'll extend this to you also, friends. I know there are some, there are some watching. I even got a text message this morning about someone who is, who's struggling. But, but if there's someone who's close to you that cannot make their way down or somebody who's not here, and you're like, I want prayer for that person, somebody who's in your family, you're invited down as well. If it's a mother, a brother, your father, someone who's close to you, and we'll pray for that person as well. Church, I'm gonna ask you to extend your hand up to these folks as a physical representation of us praying for these people. Caleb's gonna come and pray. And even as he prays, may we be signifying that we together as a family are pleading on behalf of these folks that the power of Christ would be made real, be made manifest here on this earth for his glory and for his name's sake. Caleb, come and pray for us.